Hello, everyone. This is another episode of Connecting the Dots podcast. I'm Skip Stewart, Vice President and Chief Improvement Officer with Baptist Memorial Healthcare. And this is Saj Choi, uh, System CMO and Chief Physician Executive for Baptist Memorial Healthcare. Well, we are so excited today that we have Dr. Eric Summers with us. Uh, Dr. Summers, if you would uh, tell our audience uh, a little bit about yourself, your background, and where you uh, presently work at. Sure, happy to. I'm so I'm uh, I presently work at uh, Wake Forest Baptist Medical Center uh, here in uh, Winston Salem. I'm the chief medical officer, and I started out, uh, grew up in Alabama, went to UAB for medical school, and uh, became a hospitalist, and thought I would do that for the rest of my life, and then. And I'm not exactly sure how, but I got put into this position and and it's been um, it's been wonderful because, you know, uh, going in, I went into medicine for clinical care and patient care. But the opportunity to affect systems and help many people beyond just the, you know, the face to face has been great. So in my role as CMO, I'm, I'm over the medical staff. I have a role over the APPs, uh, credentialing, peer review and care coordination. And then I'm. Um, one last little point, I um, about four or five years ago had a vision about building an operations center, and uh, we helped build that uh, about five years ago, which was instrumental in us helping to improve length of stay. Well, so thank you, you tr- for inviting me. Yeah, I mean, you triggered it with a perfect comment there, length of stay. That is our discussion today, and, uh, you know, part of our uh, interest is wanting to figure out, one, how you got into length of stay, and uh, sort of lead us from there. Yeah, so, you know, I think being a hospitalist and, and being on the front lines and seeing patients, you you learn things. And, and while I certainly enjoyed the clinical aspect, you know, I began to notice these um, barriers or these inefficiencies in patients moving. And and so people would talk about that a lot and uh, and then they'd move on. But I was like, well, you know, we, we can do better. And then um, I had a moment at East Carolina, which is where I um, started the hospitalist program in Greenville, North Carolina, where we were having a really difficult time getting patients into our hospital because we were full. Mm-hmm. Yet I saw on the front lines, there were a lot of patients that could have moved, but because of inefficiencies, they weren't moving. And so that that list of people every day that I would see that couldn't come to us in a timely manner, it bothered me, bothered me a lot because they could be my family members. They're people that are out in in eastern North Carolina that needed our help. And so. It became a passion of mine. How do we how do we implement change so that we can help those people that need our help and get the patients to the all the people to where they need to be? Yeah, and so and so to that point, it when you begin to focus on that, and you begin to realize this patient could be at a nursing home, or could be at home, or could be somewhere else, that impacts the patients who can't get to that bed. Mm-hmm. So it became if a patient is not where they need to be, that impacts that patient, and that impacts other people that need that bed. And so that's. That's that's the crux of how why length of stay is so important and why we need to we need to maximize those beds so that we can help as many people as possible. 
Oh, absolutely agree with you. And and I, I presume that the length of stay and the efficiency uh, components of the work you did became even more crucial and valuable uh, during COVID. Sure, absolutely. I mean, and, you know, length of stay is a, that is a big puzzle. It's not yeah. one thing. You've got to look at every single facet. But you're right. During COVID, everything got accelerated. We had to be as proficient as possible moving patients because there were so many more that needed our help. And um, and so in our healthcare system, we have five hospitals in the region. And, um, you know, one of our strengths, I, I think, at Wake Forest is our, our ability to come together and work and do the right thing to um, to to help our patients and to um, and to maximize what what resources we have and so we came to our hospitals in Lexington, Wilkes, Davie, High Point, and we created a process where we're really all one team to move patients to the to the beds that they needed to be. Not every patient needs to be in the big 850 bed medical center, and so um, so yeah, that was a that was a big piece of the puzzle to get us through COVID. So let, let me back up a little more, though, because you've been working on length of stay for quite some time. Um, and one of those uh, areas and, and the comment you made is you helped create an operations center. Um, so kind of elaborate a little bit on, on both of those things and, and educate us, uh, those that are either new to the space or are still haven't solved the problem. Yeah, so there's, there's uh, golly, there's so many pieces to this, but there's two big ones. One is... Uh, we realized we needed a centralized uh, uh, center, operation center structure for for all the key players to be um, in one place so that they could talk to each other, communicate with each other. We found out very quickly through our processes that that our transfer nurses having to call, our triage nurses having to call, our ambulance people was massively inefficient. They were all in different parts of the hospital. We put them all together and say, hey, what do you think about this? That It's amazing how something that simple can be efficient. The other piece of that operations center was, was centralizing the data and building reports so that we would have transparency across not just Wake Forest, but all our hospitals. We put a lot of time and effort into being able to go to our electronic medical record and see every bed in our region, exactly what was going on. That's extremely helpful when you need a neurosurgery patient to come to a neurosurgery bed. If you can see what's going on in that neurosurgery floor, um, okay, there's some people that can go that can be discharged. Why aren't they being discharged? Can improve your efficiency. So that that was the first piece. We had to have an area that was that had an expertise of, on length of stay. The second piece was you had to develop the players, all the people involved in length of stay. And so many people touch length of stay. You had to have the relationships and you had to have people that had, um, uh, people were held accountable. People uh, felt that they could, um, you know, discuss these issues. You know, historically, our care coordinators um, hesitated to talk to the docs uh, about discharge. That was 10 years ago. We, we empowered our care coordinators to ask those questions. You know, certainly that needs to be collegial and professional, but if you don't ask the question, then the providers may just do what they want to do and, and may keep patients longer. We saw very 
quickly that when people are asking questions um, and they're saying, hey, why can't this patient go home? That led to um, movement. Another thing that we saw, we did a study on this, providers in their notes, when they have, you know, you see all these notes, people have 10 problems, you know, heart disease, hypertension, COPD. The providers that put in their note disposition plan and discuss disposition plan in their notes, we, we did a study and showed that they had a lower length of stay index or length of stay as compared with those who never brought it up. So that became a teaching point. All our residents, all our faculty, think about discharge every day. Because if you're not thinking about it, then all of a sudden um, things tend to go on longer. And once again, I'm thinking about that patient in the edge of Eastern North Carolina or the or or in a small hospital that needs our help. We have to maximize every bed to help those patients. So I think you're you're hitting on so many points, and as you said, Eric, uh, these are very complicated uh, factors that contribute to the flow and and really the efficiency of getting patients through. Um, you know. You, you describe this this journey uh, and and the, the 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 people and the creating the place and having the people. What were the biggest uh, barriers of getting this journey moving? The biggest barriers, uh, without question, <laughs> and you reminded me of a funny story, which I probably shouldn't tell, but I'm gonna tell anyway. The biggest barrier was culture, and uh, and not understanding where we needed to go or not realizing. And I there was this famous meeting where I went to and I pitched the operations center and uh, there's a lot of leaders and administrators. And I thought I gave a really nice talk, had some good slides, the whole nine yards. And I got done. And one of the leaders, this was many years ago. One of the leaders said, uh, you focus on the parking lots than the, than this operations center stuff. There's more value in the parking lots than the operations center. And, uh, and so what I took from that was they don't get it. They don't get it yet. <laughs> They're not there yet. But, you know, one thing I've learned is that even though something that you believe in and you feel is right, people may not come around initially, but you, you don't give up. You keep pushing. So about the fourth or fifth time I pitched that proposal and lo and behold, we got an operations center. So you don't give up. Since, huh? Uh, seems to be the key, uh, especially for something as important as length of stay. And I know we're having a little bit of technical issues uh, with your uh, uh, freezing on us. Uh, so I hope oh, you're uh, back. You're back. Okay, great, great. I'm sorry. So uh, I think what, what you said is persistence is the key and not giving up on something as important as this for the patients that are waiting to come in and get your care and to those that need to go to the next place of care. Yeah. You're, the core of everything is that a, a patient in the wrong place is not good for that patient and it's not good for the future patient. If you're always thinking, how can we be better? How can we, how can we improve? And, um, and so an operations center seemed like a no brainer, took a little yeah. while. Um, we had a discharge lounge proposal that didn't go anywhere for a couple of years. We, but we never gave up. Yeah. And that has been a, we built it. It's been a huge success. So. Um, yeah, persistence without question. Well, so let me ask a little more detail about the command 
this operations center, you know, who are the members that are there? I think you gave us a, a little bit of information of some of the people. You know, who do who needs to be there? I, I sorry, I missed the first part. Who needs to be where in the operations center? In the operations center, yeah. you gave us a little bit of a, a, a teaser on a couple of people, but you know, to make it truly functional, who has to be there? Yeah. So so there's many people that um, need to be there. And yes, I talked about the transfer nurses. Those are the nurses that take the initial phone calls from outside hospitals. Then you have your people who are all day looking at the beds, not just at Wake Forest, but our regional hospitals. So they, they've got the expertise of the beds. Then we have um, a care coordinator. Now, that may be a little bit different. Why do you need a care coordinator in the um, operation center? Well, they help with a few things. One is uh, there are times when a patient uh, is in our emergency department at Wake Forest and they need to be admitted, but they don't need to be admitted here. So we actually had a care, have a care coordinator who helps facilitate uh, lower acuity patients to some of our community hospitals. Um, we certainly have our ambulance and our uh, uh, plane people um, who, who are right down there. We have something called a universal acceptor, which is um, that is uh, really for academic hospitals. You probably don't need this for private hospitals, but they're, an, they're um, an individual or individuals during the day. We have two that make the discernment of where a patient, what service a patient needs to go to. One of the big inefficiencies we had at Wake Forest um, years ago was um, the battle over who admits the patient. Um, for whatever reason, and, and I kind of remember when I was a resident, there seemed to be some honor in blocking and not admitting <laughs> the patient. Now that patient should go to surgery, that patient should go to cardiology, that patient should go to nephrology. Um, and sure, on the front lines, maybe that's perceived as some kind of um, positive or victory, but, but the reality is for the patient, is they're sitting in the emergency department a lot longer than they need to. And that's not the right place for them. An admitted patient doesn't need to be in the emergency department. They need to be upstairs. So, so we developed these um, nurses and we call them universal acceptors. And so the ED calls the nurse and the nurse says, this is a cardiology patient. Mm. Now that took a little while to build. I'm not mm -hmm. going to say that was easy, but it has been such a benefit for ED throughput, getting patients to the floor quicker. There's not these battles of, you know, this needs to go to neurology or oncology. We have one person who makes that decision and that's how it is. The only exception, if any service feels that's a safety issue uh, and that the patient is unsafe on their service, they can go down to the ED and we'll have a face-to-face -face conversation, but those are few and far between now. Um, we also have a medical director of the, of the operations center. I used to do that back in the day, but um, you need a physician down there because there are a lot of um, issues uh, that need to be decided in terms of uh, capacity when you're at high census. You don't have beds, but you have a patient who's a trauma case 50 miles away and we're the only trauma center. So there's there's issues in the moment that need to be uh, a physician needs to make decisions on. Um, and um, we certainly have some nursing leadership there also. Those are those are kind of our basic. That's the basic core of the operations center. And um, yeah, 
it's so, working fairly well. And you've got nursing, you've got physicians, you've got the the, the acceptor, uh, care you've got coordinator. Care, care, care coordinators. Um, and you also mentioned something else, this this collaboration with other hospitals in your system. Uh, there's a there's an understanding there. Uh, tell us a little more about that, that partnership. Yeah, I mean, that that was um, so that gets back to culture again. And, yeah. and our culture before we we built the operations center and, and built all this structure was one of, you know, this hospital, you know, we're our own. We're our own self. We're all kind of our own kingdom. And Wake does whatever they want to do, but we do what we want to do. And 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 you know, we're 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 separate, but we um how to put it, we we're we're not all we say we're together, but we were we really together and, and in, in sync. And so when we started getting into this length of stay and, and trying to maximize our beds and move patients um back to their community when they were stable. The patient comes from Wilkes for emergent surgery and we stabilize them and they're stable. Why can't they go back to Wilkes? Well, many years ago, um, that was almost impossible. It was like, we transferred them, they're your problem, end Mm -hmm. of story. And so once again, um, that was the culture, but was that the right culture for the patient? And it wasn't, it wasn't. When, When a patient is stable, um, and they still need to be in the hospital and they meet the criteria of, of one of our other hospitals, there's a lot of benefit to them going back to their community. Um, you know, and so, so we had some initial resistance. I can't, I'm not going to sure that, but the way we got around that was, uh, the way we fixed it was support. Yeah. First off, we had administrative support from our highest leaders that, Hey, look, we've got to do something different because, um, you know, we have some of our hospitals that have 50 open beds and and our big hospital is just filled to the gills. And so so the way we did it and the way things turned around was was actually a WebEx, a pre-WebEx before COVID. We didn't have many of those. And um, we got everybody, all, all our CEOs, all our CMOs, all our leaders, and we had a crucial conversation, a collegial conversation, said, Look, we've got we've got to work together. This is about the patients. This is about um, you know maximizing our resources and and helping as many people as we can. When we did that, people brought up concerns. One was, well, you know, I'm held to these standards, my budget, my margin. If you're transferring a patient back to me, then I'm I'm not getting the reimbursement on that patient that could have you know. Hospitals were concerned about that. And so we had to acknowledge that and we had to create a process where that that was not going to be. People were not going to get penalized for taking patients back. If anything, it was going to be a reward. And so we that was something we had to develop. But until you get people in the same room who have the ability and 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 feel comfortable expressing the concerns, um, I think it's going to be uh it's going to be tough to get that collegiality and get it, get everybody on the same page. But, um, but it was those meetings that made the difference and changed our culture. No doubt. Well, I mean, it, it was sort of uh, working for the good of the whole uh, with the emphasis on the patient, uh, you know, at the center. Yeah. And at the end of the day, 
that's why most of us went to medical school. Yeah, yeah, that's why, we did. That's why we're in this. We like to yeah. help people. And, and so, um, yeah, it just took a little conversation to get there, but we got there. And so this was for hospital systems, uh, uh, sorry, hospitals. How did you do this for the entities that you had uh, maybe some barriers related to post-acute care? You know? Oh, you mean like uh, you mean like SNFs and things? That yeah, saying? you know, things that are outside of uh, the acute care hospitals. Sure. Yeah. So, so we had a few issues with uh, things outside the acute care hospital. I mean, to get to our nursing homes. And I, I mentioned some of this. One was we had to empower our care coordinators to to be a little more aggressive and ask questions. And um, and we have some great leaders in care coordination who have really changed that culture. Second thing was we had to we created a what we call a quality collaborative to really pour through all our our patients who are over four days in the hospital. Really look at those patients um, from a care coordination point of view twice a week and and develop a cohesive plan to bring to the. Um, providers as to, you know, um, this patient could go to a nursing home today. Why can't they go? Things of that nature. But the biggest thing we did, and, and this, it's, it's really interesting because I hadn't seen this before in any other hospital I worked, was we went and developed the relationships with the nursing homes directly. And that, that takes effort. That takes a lot of driving to places. You know, there's a lot of nursing homes out there. But having that face-to-face introduction and, and saying, you know, hey, it's Dr. Summers. This I work at Wake Forest. I, you may have seen me on a piece of paper, but here's who I am and here's what we're about. And how can we help you? Because here's what we're trying to do. The value of those meetings can't be understated because guess what? As I'm not aware of any other hospitals doing that. They were stunned. They were like, you're the CMO and you're coming out to our small nursing home. Wow. And, um, but you know, those relationships are important. And so that when we have a patient that needs to go to that nursing home, they know me, I know them, I know John, it's not somebody on a piece of paper. So that was, don't get me wrong. That took time. Many of us, it wasn't just me. It was many of us that went to these different nursing homes, but um, the value of those relationships uh, cannot be understated. And, um, and we have, we have relationships now such that our, um, competing hospital across the street or down the road, uh, it calls me from time to time and says, you know, we can't get a patient into this nursing home. Are y'all seeing the same problem? And I don't really say anything, but I'm like, no, no we're not. We're taking them all. And uh, I don't tell them that, but but it's relationships. Um, and then the final thing that we did was once we developed these relationships and, and, and strong bonds with uh, our, our local nursing facilities, we began to expand off of that. And so uh, one of the things we expanded off of is these, these letters of guarantee. Instead of a patient sitting in your hospital awaiting authorization for three or four days to see if they can, can get in to a nursing home, we created a process with uh, our nursing homes such that we we have five days letter of guarantee. We will pay a certain rate for five days for that patient to be in that nursing home so that instead of them sitting in our hospital for five days so another patient can't get there, we now have five open bed days. 
And that helps people. That helps people a lot. Right patient, right place, right time. Waiting on authorization, I, I, that, those things bother me because it's, it's keeping a patient somewhere where they don't really need to be. We need to get them where they need to be. And so if we had not had those relationships, those letters of guarantee, I'm not sure if we could have established that process. But um, we have five days letters, five day letter of guarantees and 30 day letter of guarantees. And um, that has saved us a lot of hospital beds for a lot of patients. Well, uh, I know Skip has been just chomping at the bit to ask some questions and I've been hogging it. So I'm going to hand it over to Skip for a couple of questions. So, Dr. Summers, one question I do have is um, from other systems that we've talked to, one of the challenges is many times if a large majority um, are coming in through the uh, emergency department that sometimes there's an easy button of where some people will admit patients that maybe really shouldn't be admitted. And then once that occurs, it would seem as if that's going to create a challenge uh, on allowing patients to flow through the system like they should. Did you experience anything of that nature? And if so, what kind of countermeasures did you put in place to deal with that? Yeah, so you know, when we, it was step by step. When we built the operations center, we had a certain transparency, but we, it, it grew. And then, and, and as we got more proficient, yes, we saw what we called some backdoor admissions or some backdoor processes and certain um, departments, certain groups, which will remain nameless, seemed to be doing that a lot. And what they would say was, you know, my, my buddy in, you know, Western North Carolina called me directly and you know, we need to get this patient in for surgery and, and, you know, that's how we do it. And, and, um, and so that's, that's just the way it is. And so, so that was culture. They may have done that for 20 years. And, and so that, that gets back to um, establishing your processes. And if you're not having consistency and you let people go through the back door, yeah, it creates problems. You think you have a bed? Oh, here's somebody has shown up that uh, you didn't know about that's now supposed to get that bed. So that took conversations. That took calling people directly. And, and I'm, a, I'm just a I'm a big fan of that. Um, you know, sometimes it's even face to face. But if you know, I, I listen to them, I hear what they have to say. But but we're going to we're going to have the same process for everybody. If you want to bring a patient in, you come through our transfer line. Our transfer line documents everybody. Um, you, you don't have a sidecar blanche to just send people to the ED or, or say, we got you a bed. I know of some beds upstairs that are empty. You got it. And so that that took probably six months of kind of um, going individually and tracking down uh, those providers. There was there was definitely certain departments that that were more predisposed to doing that. So we went to the chairs of those departments and said, we we got to have consistency here. And um, and, you know, it people came around. I mean, it. Uh, you know, we're we're an academic center, so we're we're all hired by the same person. So maybe that made it a little bit easier. Definitely, people didn't want to change; they wanted the way that they wanted it. But we um we just slowly rooted those out. And if and if somebody still tried to do the back door after we talked to them, oh, you better believe we call them up and say, hey, I see you you talk with your buddy. You have to do this. I think the most I talked to was one individual three times. And that was it. 
Um, but you know, it's it just once people realize that you're serious about making change, some people think, oh, this is, you know, they're not really serious. But once they realize that you're serious, then then I think they come around. So, so let me ask another question, which is going to lead in uh, to some additional questions. Can you can you share with us uh, kind of the gap that you closed? Where were you? Where are you now when it comes to length of stay? Yeah. So when we started with, um, you know, I'm just thinking back when we started with the operations center, our length of stay index was hovering about 1.04, 1.05. And we had certain pockets that had a very high length of stay. Uh, hospital medicine was one of them. Um, neurology might have been another. It's hard to remember. But with and, and once again, it's not one magic bullet. It's multiple initiatives and multiple pieces. But when you when you focus on care coordination, when you have the relationships with the with the nursing facilities, when you have a transparency and a concept of every one of your beds, what's going on, when you can tell exactly who's supposed to be discharged today, when you have um, everybody on the same page, yeah, it dropped us below one. Uh, last I saw, I believe we're like 0.95 more or less. Um, but, you know, 10 years ago, nobody really even talked about length of stay index. And length of stay index, for those not aware, one is about your average. Higher means you're above the average length of stay for facilities of your same size, et cetera, um, medical cases. So lower is better. You know, our goal is 0.89 as an institution. And um, uh, we haven't reached that yet, but but you can imagine move, moving all these patients that normally would sit in the hospital for days awaiting authorization or patients that we, um, no one would ever ask the doctor about, hey, why isn't this patient going home? Those things have had an impact. And our length of stay is for for us the last last month was 5.89, I believe, right around there. We haven't been above six in, in a long time. And prior to this, we were running six, five, um, six and a half days. And so so that matters on so many levels, length of stay, uh, as you can imagine. One of the things I remember picking up when we were talking to your team that was so encouraging to me, we have another principle within the Baptist management system called constancy of purpose. And I remember hearing that from you and your team that there that there wasn't any form of complacency as if y'all had arrived, but there was this constancy of purpose and intentionality uh, to really make sure that everyone's doing their part and people were working together and there was a like a hand on the pulse. Am I characterizing that correctly? Yeah, I, we, I, I think it's, I'm going to speak for all the operations center. We, we have built a, I think that's a nice way to put a constancy of purpose. And the way, an example that I, I'm thinking about right now is, you know, when I, when any of us in the operations center hear about a patient who's sitting in a bed, watching television, um, watching Scooby-Doo or something like that. I remember there was one patient one time was watching Scooby-Doo, which I, I like that show. It's a good show. But um, they sat there for five hours watching television, waiting for a ride. And that grinds us. That grinds us all because um, not begrudging the patient, 
But that's a bed. That's a bed we could use for somebody in the ED who's boarding. That's not where they need to be. Somebody who is, once again, maybe in one of our sister hospitals that needs a transfer, somebody from far away. That's precious real estate for someone who is very ill and and how and we can never stop. We can never stop grinding to maximize those beds and 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 get rid of that inefficient time. If a patient doesn't need to be there, another patient does. And so there may be a day when we're like have 100 open beds. Maybe maybe we'll quit grinding. But but that stuff, it bothers us. It, it bothers us. It makes us want to do better. Because I think just just like I can imagine, just like y'all, if I was that patient and somewhere far away, I'd want people fighting for me. I'd want people doing everything they can to get me where I need to be to help me. That's what I would want. And so we have the op- we're on the other side. That's that should be our mission and our drive. Well, that's great. And and, and Dr. Summers, as I you know kind of bring the cod- podcast to 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 uh, a kind of a finish. I, I do still have one more question. It's it's obvious to listening to you that relationships matter. And in healthcare, we are dealing with arguably the most complex, open socio-technical system on planet Earth. And um, and so you talked a lot about relationships, which is that social side of it. And you you talked about relationships with some of the outside folks like the nursing homes. Talk to us a little more about internally the relationships between physicians and other uh, other disciplines and in giving them the courage to to uh, to speak up and to how did how did that all work? How did you encourage those relationships? Yeah, so a couple of things. One, I, the the first thing I did when I got into this job as CMO is you know when you're a chief medical officer, you're dealing with a lot of difficult situations, physicians that may be not doing what they should be doing, and you have a lot of difficult conversations. What I learned is that at the end of the day, almost all medical providers respond to, we're trying to help the patient. The patient comes first. Let's meet the needs of the patient. Um, so we had camaraderie there. So I, I had a lot of difficult conversations, but we always could could come to an understanding on that. So um, when I knew I had that in my back pocket, care coordination, we realized we had an opportunity there. Care coordinators were not feeling comfortable talking to these doctors. And so um, there were there were two big things that we helped to change the culture. Number one, we all got in a big room, the care coordinators face to face. I said, hey, you know, my name is Eric Summers, yes, I'm CMO, but you know what? I'm on your team. We are a team. This is what we need to do. We're about patient care. I'm asking you to change your process. I know that there were things in the past that made you uncomfortable. Not anymore. Not anymore. I want you to to ask those doctors. I want you to challenge those doctors. Uh, that's what I. That's that's good. And guess what? If they push back on you, you come to me. You can call me anytime. Here's my cell phone, and I will talk to them. We will weed out the resistors. It may take time, but it's not going to be on you. It's going to be on me. You can blame me, whatever you want to do, but we've got to change the culture because that, at the end of the day, is going to help our patients. They had to feel empowered, and you can say in an email you're empowered, 
But that's there's nothing like sitting in a room, eye to eye contact, saying, I support you. Here's our mission. Let's go do it. Well, well Dr. Summers, that's a great place to bring the podcast. That I love that leadership. I love that ownership. I love that uh, that mindset of we're going to do what's best for the patient. And so I, I'm so thrilled that you have made such a significant uh, improvement in length of stay because it's what's best for the patient. And so uh, I'm just so thankful for you. And on behalf of Baptist Memorial Healthcare, we are so grateful for the, your leadership, the work you're doing, and for the time you joined us. Thank you so much for joining us today on Connecting the Dots. Thank you. Thank Appreciate you, the Summers. opportunity. Thank you, Dr. Summers.